Hey guys, I'm excited to bring you this special interview. Uh, some of you, if you've known me for very long, you know I'm a huge Everclear fan. And Tracy and I just recently got to go to an Everclear concert with a meet and greet package. I got my guitar signed by Art Alexakis, the lead singer uh, from Everclear and the rest of the band. But we kind of uh, talked a little bit and uh, he likes the, the idea that we start off the podcast with something positive. Every show we talk about mental health and he has a hell of a backstory which I already knew, but most people, if you don't know the band or uh, or you're unfamiliar with them at all, you, you wouldn't know his backstory. But it's an incredible, uh, triumphant story from somebody who went through a lot of living in bad neighborhoods, poverty, uh, a broken home, uh, drugs, drinking. The, the man was selling drugs at 12 years old. His brother, which was his only male role model after his father left him at an early age, overdosed and died at 21 years old after getting shot the, the year before that. Uh, so it was a, a very tough upbringing. So drugs and alcohol weighed heavily. He was eventually able to kick that in his late 20s and before he actually started Everclear, and he's been clean and sober for the last 30-some years. Uh, and now he's battling MS uh, for the last three years, but he's still out there touring, being a rock star, I thought it would be awesome for you guys and very inspirational if you could hear his story from the man himself. And he agreed to come on and do that, and uh, I couldn't be more happy. So if you're unfamiliar with the band, uh, the next three minutes or so are going to be just some clips of some of their more popular songs. Uh, some of them will probably be like, oh, I remember that song, or I didn't realize that was them. But at least to give you a little bit of um, uh, of the of the artist himself before you hear the story, I thought it would be... Uh, the perfect lead in. So thanks for listening. I hope you enjoyed this. There is no paranormal in this at all. It's strictly just for hopefully inspirational purposes to show you what you can overcome in life if you really want to. I am still living with your ghost. Lonely and dreaming of the West Coast I don't want to be your downtown I don't want to be your stupid game With my big black boots and an old suitcase Father of mine, tell me where have you been? You know I just closed my eyes, my whole world is up here Father of mine, take me back to the day. Yeah, when I was still your golden boy, back before you went away. I remember blue skies walking the block. I loved it when you held me high. I loved to hear you talk. You would take me to the.
Hey guys, I have been fortunate to do a ton of interviews in the last six years for this podcast, but I could tell you without a doubt, I have never been as excited as I am to be able to do this one because I am joined by one of my musical idols, Mr. Art Alexakis, the guitarist, founder, and lead singer for the band Everclear. Art, thank you for coming on. My pleasure. Thank you, brother. Thanks for having me. It was great seeing you the other day. Thanks for making this happen. This is cool. Well, I, like I said, I've been trying to make this happen for a little bit. You know, when it comes to uh, people like yourself, you're out on the road. You've got uh, this big tour going on right now, celebrating the 30th anniversary of Everclear. And I know you're getting ready to wrap it up. I think you said you got like five more shows left for you to be able to take a little bit of a break. And then you're going over to Europe from what I understand. Well, yeah, I mean, we go home next Sunday, our last show is Saturday, from the, on the bus tour, so we fly home, but then we fly back to New York three days later, and we've got shows every weekend, at least three, two to three shows every weekend till October, and then we got a West Coast run that we're going to do in October, and then we got the UK tour like you're talking about in uh, uh, November, and then we got Australia in late January, February. So no, no rest for the wicked. Um, no rest for the wicked. Really. So our Everclear is, is one of my favorite all-time bands. And we're going to talk a little bit about the band because obviously you, we can't have you on without talking about the band and some stuff that you got going on right now. But the main reason that I brought you on is because I find your life story as very inspirational. We try to bring motivation to our, our uh, listeners as much as we can. And that's the main reason that I'm bringing you on. And it just helps that you're actually one of my musical idols, but I think your story is fascinating. So let's, let's cover some real things. I'm, I'm going to babble a little bit just to kind of uh, save some time so I can have you talk about the more important things ever clear as a band. 30-year anniversary, you guys have sold over 6 million albums worldwide. You've been on Spotify. Like, I was looking at Santa Monica, which is, uh, I would say, is probably your most popular song. 145 million streams on Spotify alone. You've had hits, like I said, at Santa Monica, I Will Buy You a New Life, Wonderful, Father of Mine, of course, which I would I would think you'd be hard-pressed to find anybody who doesn't know that song. You guys have been featured on Soundtracks. Uh, the movie Loser with Jason Biggs, you were actually were actually the band was in the movie as well as being in the soundtrack. You did the theme song, or I should say title song to Rockstar with Jennifer Aniston and Mark Wahlberg. And my favorite, 
which was the swing was featured on the Scream 2 soundtrack. That's a very successful career. Yeah, it it is. And uh, we we were on a soundtrack for uh, um, Romeo and Juliet as well. That was actually our biggest selling soundtrack uh, back in the day. But yeah, no, man, I've had a freak career, dude. I've been very blessed. Um, I'm, I'm in a really good place mentally, as we were talking before, um, and spiritually, spiritual wise, um, not religious, very spiritual, very, very, um, just positivity. I like that you start off your podcast with positivity every day. I think that's just wonderful. I mean, it's, it's something I'm very grateful for. I've been with my wife for 18 years and uh, I had almost given up on relationships at that point. And uh, she brought just love and light and positivity into my life and helped me to really understand that that was inside of me when a lot of times I didn't, I didn't know if it was, you know, the low self-esteem thing. And uh, just the last 18 years have been just, wonderful for me even with you were talking about it earlier i got diagnosed with ms and um um you know and certain bad things happen but for the most part and my karma is really good and i'm just grateful for it so thank you for having me on that's cool i want to i want to say a couple of things to you and then uh, i'll quit babbling because people hear me all the time on here and we'll get to to your story but I mentioned to you off the air that I have three musical songwriting idols. Those people are John Lennon, Ed Kowalczyk from Live, and you. And the reason is all three of those people, all three of you, I should say, since I'm talking to you, have a way of songwriting that just grabs me emotionally that nobody else has. And where you come into this is you and your songs will take father of mine. I grew up with a father, but you, when you sing that song, it's so full of raw emotion that it makes me feel like that. Damn. I know what it's like to grow up without a father. And I grew up with a father. That's how well you put that out there. And I don't think a song has ever been done that really just is the big F you to my dad for leaving as what that song is. And it's just expertly done. And if I remember correctly, there was a, uh, there was a group that actually used that song as like their, um, you know, the music for their organization. It was like a charity or something that was about deadbeat dads or something. But if I remember correctly for that, it was a band that, I mean, a group that used that song because it was so powerful. It's the message. Well, yeah, it was uh, it was an organization that uh, was uh, working to enact a, a bill that was actually in Congress, um, and I went and spoke at a subcommittee uh, for that, because, and they asked me for that song uh, because of that song, and uh, yeah, it opened a lot of doors for me. And, but to be honest with you, brother, it's not an F you to my dad. It's not an F you to my dad. It's just that's what happened is I don't know if you have kids, but people that have kids, a lot of times will watch their kids sleep. I mean, 
it, I, it sounds really boring to people who don't have children, but it's kind of magical because they're just so at peace. They're so innocent looking. They're, it's so pure. It's just purity. And I remember watching my five-year-old, my oldest daughter, sleep and just going, how the hell does a person walk away? How do you walk away from that? How do you walk away from that kind of purity and not want that in your life and that to inspire you to be a better person? How do you do that? Why would you do that? And I went to my room. Um, I, I have, an, I have a, a bedroom that was my office. And I just stayed up all night writing, just journaling about it. Started looking like lyrics and um, just had a guitar, just had this riff I had been playing with and this melody. And by the time um, I went to bed about six in the morning, I had a song. And uh, I remember playing it for somebody, um, playing it for my A&R guy uh, in L.A. I was down there on business and I stopped in. And they're very, I had a, I had a, uh, a deal with capital that was part of my contract that I don't do demos. I don't have to submit anything. I'm going to give you an album and that's it. But I also had the agreement with them that I will give you, I will keep writing and recording songs. So you tell me you got singles that'll sell the record, right? Because otherwise you're just being stupid. But um, I, I don't write songs for singles. I'm not going to sit down and try to write a hit song. But so he's there and he's like, well, you got anything you can play me or anything you want to tell me about? And I go, he had a, a guitar in his office. I go, I'll play you the song I wrote like about a week ago um, called Father of Mine. And I played it for him. And he's this British guy, middle-aged British guy, really stoic, doesn't show a lot of emotion. And you can see he was crying behind his glass. He's like wiping his face. And then we hear the sound out in the anteway, in, in, in the front area where the, the um, secretaries are, right? And the, the assistants. And we walk out there and there's three women, young women, sitting on the desk outside the, the door, bawling. I mean, like sobbing, just that's the best song I've ever heard. <laughs> Just like losing it. And I'm like, and I look at my my AR guy and he's like, I don't know if it's a single, but it's definitely going on the album. And I'm like, yeah, I think so. And uh I didn't I didn't know if it was gonna hit as a single because I don't there was nothing like that being played on alternative radio at the time. You exactly. Know? Yeah. Those those kind of lyrics this kind of storytelling lyrics but you know the history of it, it it was very successful well like i said your your music the things that i really like is they they just take different viewpoints like you take the song wonderful that's that's from the viewpoint of a child that's going caught in the middle basically of, the, of their parents divorce and when that song came out i was actually just starting a divorce and had three kids at the time they were all younger. I think the youngest was 12. And I mean, the oldest was 12. And then, uh, you know, the other two were younger than that. And, and, you know, that song really hit me because it just made me think about things from their viewpoint rather than my viewpoint at a very emotional time in my life. And even to jump ahead, uh, you know, the 
when I looked at, I will buy you a new life. You know, the, the, the lyric that says, I hate those people that love to tell you that money, you know, basically is, is evil when it kills everything. They have never been poor. They have never had the joy of a welfare Christmas. I grew up not as poor as some kids, but I've had those welfare Christmases and nobody was singing about that. You know, I always used to talk about uh, to give you a good comparison. The Cosby show was huge, but that didn't resonate with me because I didn't have rich parents and grow up in this beautiful house. But when Roseanne came out and the Connors, that was that was my family. Smart aleck remarks uh, and, and the, the old crappy furniture with the, you know, the, the knitted throws over top of them and, and the smart ass remarks from the parents. That's how I grew up. And so when you sing about stuff like that, that's the songs that just grabbed me because it, it felt like you were just you. I had lived some of what you had lived and it just all resonated with me. You know, I mean, growing up when I did, um, and I'm a little, little bit older, um, you know, like TV in the early seventies was a lot grittier, like good times and, and, uh, Chico and the man and stuff like that, which showed people living in projects, which I was living in a project, right? I had, I had more, to relate with that than I did the Brady Bunch. The Brady Bunch was on at the time, and my life looked nothing like the Brady Bunch at all. You know, who's did? And it was just like, you know, I um, so I, I I connect with that, and you know, that's I just wanted to when I wrote Wonderful, I was going through a divorce and watching my my daughter the pain in her eyes and the pain. And we, we tried to do it as best as we could. It wasn't, you know, I didn't argue with her. I didn't battle her in court. I just gave her what she wanted. I gave her more than what she wanted. And, Cause I had the, I had the wherewithal at the time financially to do that because I wanted to protect my daughter from that. The only thing I insisted in on was co-custody hundred percent down the line, co co-time with her 50, 50, and um that's i was willing to pay for that because it it was going to be better for my daughter and um i'm glad i did that you know but not everybody has the wherewithal the the, the ability to do that you know i was very blessed at that time um but even with that like my dad he left my mom left him because he was he was verbally emotionally abusive and at the end he became physically abusive as well and she had the balls and the guts to say screw this man i'm done with this i'm done with being your punching bag emotionally and physically we're done i'm, t- I'm taking care of my kids and in the late 60s that was a brave thing to do for a woman it was yeah. hard being divorced woman back then you know, everybody made judgments about you. It was just rough. And we, my dad split to the other, you know, instead of moving down the street and raising his kids like he should have done, he moved to the other side of the country and moved to a state specifically that wouldn't extradite for, for ch- child support, right? And uh, Florida and um, raised 
met another woman and raised her kids, you know? And um, so it was, you know, when I write songs, I want to put part of my story in there, but the parts that I think are universal themes for a lot of people, that even if, like, like you said earlier, even if that wasn't your experience, you can connect with that and understand the emotions behind it and relate to it. Because I think that's what good storytelling is. And I, I, I grew up listening to great students and learning from great storytellers. So let's go, let's go to the time your, your dad and mom split up. This obviously is a rough time financially for your, your mother trying to raise kids single. Like you said, you couldn't get any child support from your dad. He was in a place where you couldn't extradite it. What did that do for your family? Where, where did you guys end up? I know you ended up in the projects and stuff, but tell me a little bit about you growing up and the effects it had on you from drinking and drugs, uh, which would come soon after. Well, first of all, you know, I remember my mom giving me a sip of beer when I was like four. And uh, I remember it tasting like candy. <laughs> alcohol always tastes like candy. Drugs have, and alcohol has always made me feel comfortable in my own skin. It's the only time I've come close to it. And, um, um, but, you know, you don't just stop at one drink. <laughs> you know, that, that, that I don't understand that one drink situation. Let's stop for a drink. Even let's stop for some drinks, you know, right. and, and buy a bottle buy a bottle as we walk out. That's what you're talking about, right? That's that's me. I'm an addict. I am an alcoholic. It's it's genetic in me. Um, but that being said, watching, you know, growing up in the projects, my brother was nine years older than me, he was in and out of juvenile hall for uh, drugs and uh, dealing drugs and using and, um, guns. You know, my brother was a gangster, man. And he died at 21 from an overdose. And his stomach was all wired up with wire from getting shot in the stomach uh, the year before, after he'd shot two guys. You know, that's, that's my life. That was my male role model growing up. <laughs> Woo! Um, yeah. I read somewhere the WT, that the WT runs strong in my family, dude. I read somewhere that you were selling drugs at the age of 12. Is that true? Yeah. Yeah, of course. Yeah. I got really good at it in high school, but yeah, I was selling joints and, um, uh, black mollies and stuff like that. Um, you know, younger than that i mean took acid when i was 11 or 12 and uh first shot up speed when i was 13 but i uh, didn't do that i did that sporadically whenever i met you know got with people who did that but by the time i was 16 17 yeah i was i was shooting up coke and heroin whenever i could get it smoking a lot of hash taking pills yeah and drinking always drinking i i had a guy this uh the, this uh guy at a store that he would sell it to underage kids and uh i i got a system up where i would be the guy he trusted 
and he wouldn't sell it to anybody else. So he would sell it to me, and then I would go to them and say, throw me an extra buck, and I'll go buy you, I'll go buy you a bottle, right? Or some pills or some pot or something like that. And that that's where the whole drug dealing, by the time I'm in high school, I'm like across the street from my school um, at this uh, restaurant and uh, just I was making money for, for a kid in the 70s. I was probably making 50 bucks a day, which was minimum wage was at the time. Three thirty, three dollars and thirty cents an hour. So, you know, people were working, supporting families on what, say, three fifty times, you know, eight, thirty bucks a day. I'm making fifty bucks a day. <laughs> um, and 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 uh, just not doing anything with it. You're doing nothing, nothing good. But the point is. You know, and what you're bringing up is is that I I'm very grateful that I was given the ability to talk about those things in storytelling. Because a lot of people live a lot of like different types of lives, but they don't they don't have the ability to communicate it in a way that it connects with other people. And I was. I've I've always had that ability. Now, obviously, the inspirational part of all this is that you've been able to overcome the past as as horrible as it was. The conditions were were not ideal in any way, shape or form. You didn't have a father to help guide you through these things. But you eventually became a father. You became clean and sober over what, like 32 years ago, if I'm remembering correctly, somewhere in there. But. Tell me a little bit about tell me a little bit about the point where you became clean and sober. What was the turning point there? Um, I got so I've got another call coming in for a, a conference call. Hold on a second. Okay, uh, we got another few minutes. Um, when I got clean and sober, ask that question again. I'm sorry. What was the turning point in your life that made you determine that now's the time that I get clean and sober? Well. I got off drugs because I was having like um, panic attacks and and uh, acid flashbacks and stuff like that. But I kept drinking for another five years, even though I was in, going to meetings and going through therapy. And um, you know, they didn't have rehab like they have it now. Maybe for rich people like Betty Ford Clinic or something, but not for me. You know, um, but. I just got to a point that I was a blackout drunk that uh, was, why did that go away? Hold on. I'm sorry. That's okay. Oh, weird. Um, I was a blackout drunk and just, I woke up in my bed with another woman and my wife was after being just blacked out and gone for three to four days. The last thing I remember is going to getting off work, going into a bar after work on a Thursday. And this is Sunday morning. And I woke up and this horrible scene was playing out. My wife was first wife was sitting on the floor crying. I've got a hooker in my bed. 
at my house in her bed. And I just, I put the girl in a car, you know, a cab. I, and I just, my wife, I was going to get better. And I went down to this guy who I had met who had, um, at a record store that had told me that he thought I was an alcoholic. I didn't even know him. And I, you know, I was like, fuck you, man. <laughs> you don't know me. <laughs> and I went down and said, I think you're right. I need to go to a meeting. He's like, well, I get off work. Cool. I get off work at five. I go, no, you said you'd take me to a meeting. I need to go to a meeting now, right now. And he's like, okay. I told the girl, I'm going to be gone all day. I was in, in, in the sober rooms. He was what I call my Eskimo. He found me out in the middle of nowhere and took me and saved me. He saved me. And he took me to three meetings and then uh, handed me off to someone else because he had to get home to his family. And uh, never saw the guy again. But I went to two more meetings that night. And uh, the next morning, I, I went home, slept on the couch, woke up the next morning. My arms were, my hands were shaking, and I, my vision was blurry. And I, I went to the hospital, and uh, they treated me for detox for a day. And uh, then I started going to, like, five meetings a day. One before work. And this is before Zoom. Now, now you can do, like, I, right. I did I did. I did one before work. I'd get up at five o'clock and go do a meeting. And I'd do a meeting at lunchtime. Then I'd do a meeting after work. I'd do one uh, probably before I went to bed. Like there was one in the neighborhood. And um, I just realized that there was other people like me from all walks of life that were addicts and alcoholics as well. And, uh, you know, I, I think drinking's fine if you can do it in moderation. If you can just have a couple beers here and there or a couple cocktails, I can't. Not me. And at least I, and I feel very grateful spiritually that those bad things happened to me. And I even feel grateful for my MS because it makes me try harder. I have to work harder. You were asking me about touring earlier and man it's like you know i'm 60 sometimes i feel like i'm 75 you know <laughs> but i gotta get up and do it so we gotta wrap it up man i gotta i gotta get on another call but, i appreciate uh, it brother you, thank thank you, you so if much you do a, if you want to do a part two sometime hit up hit up our publicist and uh, we'll do it but I, I love talking to you man okay all right, brother. Thank you so much. And congratulations on uh, the re-release of The World of Noise, which was your first album. It's available now on digital. Everybody go listen to it. Thank you, Art. I appreciate it, brother. Thank you, brother. Do well, Jeff.